You're listening to the Dan Grosser Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. On this beautiful, summery, very warm and beautiful Friday night here in the big city on 98.7 ESPN, 800-919-3776. That is our telephone number. We're taking it right up until 10 o'clock. Then my boy Scott Seidenberg's got the weekend wager. Going to talk about some odds, some picks, some wages. Have some fun with Scott a little bit later on, but we got plenty to get to here over the next few hours, you and I. Ty Butler, Brian Mungia, they're producing the program. They're along for the ride here. And as always, you can tweet at me at Dan Gross at G-R-A-C-A. We've got plenty, plenty of things to dissect over the course of the next few hours here. Both baseball teams trying to continue on their winning ways. Mets remain home as they get set to kick off a four-game series, a little wraparound series this weekend with the Miami Marlins. First time those two teams are going to meet this season. And the Mets, they're going to have to see the two best Miami pitchers, Pablo Lopez, tonight. This is the first time he's taken the mound since he took a line drive uh, off of his wrist, which forced him to get bumped back a couple of days there. So Lopez having a very good season, all-star first half of the season. And then I believe it's on Sunday they're going to see Sandy Alcantara, who right now might be the frontrunner for the National League Cy Young Award if they were given out the award at this time of the season. So the Mets got their work cut out for them. They're going to throw Carlos Carrasco out there, seeing if he can bounce back from his last start, which left a little bit to be desired. So we'll talk a little bit in detail about the Mets and the injury bug, which is striking them again with Tyler McGill being shut down for minimum the next four weeks, and it's going to be more than four weeks. He'll be reevaluated in four weeks after another shoulder strain. He had to leave last night, start a little bit early there. He's not going to throw. He's not going to pick up a baseball. So, I mean, conservatively right now, if you're talking about four weeks before he can even touch a baseball, then he has to ramp himself back up. You're probably talking about August at the earliest before you see somebody like a Tyler McGill, but you hope that DeGrom, Scherzer are going to be back in the fold way before then. So if McGill gets back in the mix there, you're talking about pitching depth more than anything else, which you always can use some starting pitching depth. We know those things there. Yankees north of the border, series against the Toronto Blue Jays, and it's getting silly to this point, right, with the Yankees and how much they win. It seems like every time we're on, we're just joking. It's like, oh, yeah, Yankees won again. You know, what a bore, nothing exciting, but it's true. This team doesn't lose. They're a machine. You know, and when you're talking about 47 up and 16, I mean, 31 games over 500. 31 games. You know how many teams, like, don't even have 31 wins? And they're 31 games over 500. It's it's insane what they've been able to accomplish. And look, the Blue Jays have been kind of hot and cold this year. And, you know, their pitching is hurting a little bit. Yunjin Ryu went under the knife. He's going to be gone for the rest of the season. Kevin Gossman, who was brought in to be, you know, one of their leaders of that starting rotation, he got roughed up last night against the Orioles of all teams. So, you know what, the Yankees want to keep applying the pressure to the Blue Jays here and, you know, even widen that distance and widen that lead in the American League East, which is right now at 10, if you can believe it or not. But Yanks doing their thing. Jordan Montgomery on the hill tonight. It's always dicey of whether Monty gets some run support. So we'll see if the Yankees can provide that form this evening. And later on in the show, we're going to talk about specifically what I think the Yankees need to actually add before the August 2nd trade deadline because, you know, you're not going to take this team into the playoffs and into the month of October. It would be foolish to do so, and you know that Brian Cashman is not going to do that. You're going to have to make trades. You're going to have to make some additions here. So I'll tell you what I think the Yankees need to go out there and get, and it might not be as clear-cut as 
maybe what some of you may think the Yankees need to address. But we'll do all those things and more. But we got to start with the NBA, don't we? Got to start with the NBA because the season is effectively over. And congratulations go out to the Golden State Warriors. They are the champs. They are the kings. They are on top of the NBA mountain. Congratulations to them. Fourth title in the last eight years. You want to cement them as a dynasty? Be my guest. I think that it applies. I think that it's fair. Um, And remember some of the rhetoric we were saying after game five about Boston losing back-to-back games for the first time. Never happened this whole postseason. Well, now they've lost three straight games for the first time, and as a result of that, their season is over. So Boston sent back, and they had a very, very good year, exceeded all expectations, let's be honest. I don't think I or anybody had the Celtics going to the NBA Finals and really just mowing down the teams in the fashion in which they did through the Eastern Conference playoffs. It's a nice foundation. It's a building block. Hey, remember, Kyrie could never get the Celtics to the, to the NBA Finals, and that's what Jason Tatum and company were able to do. See, that addition by subtraction – But, you know, things aren't going to be that easy for the Celtics next year because everybody is going to regroup, everybody is going to reload, and I think that Eastern Conference is going to be dangerous and it's going to be a heck of a lot deeper than the way the Celtics certainly found it by the time that they got to the postseason there. But, you know, the story is going to be Golden State, right? They're the ones that should be celebrated and rightfully so, and they left little doubt. Uh, Once they went on that run in the first half last night, 21 zip, I, I mean, you knew pretty much the game was over. I know that there was still uh, over a half of basketball still to play, but let's be honest. From what we've seen from the Boston Celtics and what we saw from the Boston Celtics in the last couple of games, it really did not inspire a heck of a lot of confidence that Golden State, or excuse me, that Boston would be able to dig themselves out of that deficit in the second half. Because the Celtics also, you know, had problems in the fourth quarter executing in these games in this series. So, you know, if the game even somehow did get within striking distance, I was still going to favor the visitors, and last night they didn't really need it. You know, they proved to be the better team, and I think the Celtics just ran out of gas more than anything else. But what was another staple of theirs last night? Too many turnovers. Too many miscues. You know, and it wasn't even necessarily you attribute them to Golden State and to things that they were doing. Boston was just careless. You know, it was like unforced errors with the basketball, and you can't can't do that against anybody. But you certainly can't do it against a team like Golden State who will pounce on your mistakes and make you pay. You know, this is the NBA Finals. 22 turnovers, giving Golden State 20 points down the other end of the floor. I mean, you're, you're begging to get beat. You're asking to get beat. And that's exactly what happened. And I'm not going to sit here and throw a ton of cold water on Jason Tatum, to be quite honest with you. I'm not. You know, didn't have the greatest finals. It was great getting him there. So I think that's got to count for something. Remember, this is his first time on the big stage playing in the championship round but he was nowhere to be found last night nowhere you know he was bad in the series clincher he was bad in the series opener you know so it's pretty spotty for a young player like that on this stage and it's you know a lot of times you want to write off a player or maybe you want to exalt a player after maybe one series one round what they do good what they do bad And like I said, I'm not going to make any of those judgments on a guy like Jason Tatum for what happened during these six games against the Golden State Warriors. I don't think that's fair. I think that if you're any team, Nick fan, Net fan, whoever, you want Jason Tatum on your squad. If you had an opportunity to say, hey, could this guy be on our team next year? You're darn right. You're going to go out there and get him. Because I think the future is absolutely bright. And, you know, he is the guy that the Boston Celtics are going to build around. Plain and simple. 
But is it fair to sit here and take a step back maybe and look at what Golden State has done or see what Golden State did in these playoffs and, you know, just state facts. Not to throw shade at them, not to minimize their accomplishments or anything like that, but just to present some facts. You know, did Golden State have the toughest path to win a championship this year, right? They faced the Denver Nuggets team in the first round that was banged up, missing some key players. Then they took on a Memphis Grizzlies team in the second round that had to go some of that series without John Morant, who pretty good. And then he got a Dallas team, which wasn't in full strength. And I think it was a surprise to all of us that they were sitting there in the conference finals this year. They didn't have to go through the Phoenix Suns. Didn't have to touch them because somebody else took care of them for them. So you know what? You play who you play. Not their fault that Phoenix didn't live up to expectations. You know, Chris Paul's team couldn't get it done again in the postseason. And I think that it played itself out that way once the finals rolled around because I think that Golden State was a team that had more left in the tank than the Boston Celtics did. I mean, remember, Boston had to fight through, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, they had to battle the Miami Heat in the conference finals. I mean, they made the Nets look extremely like a walkover in the first round, but they had to work at it. That smothering defense on Kevin Durant and company down there in Brooklyn and shutting them down, you know, it happens. It truly happens. And speaking of, speaking of, the odds are already out for next year because we can't let this season breathe. We always have to immediately, boom, just like look ahead to next year already. So our friends in Vegas already put the odds out. You've got the Golden State Warriors, who are the favorites to repeat, plus 500. And then you got the Nets and you got the Celtics at plus 600. A lot of confidence that the Nets are going to swirl out all the garbage they have going on behind the scenes. That KD and Kyrie are going to play nice. Everybody's going to be on the same page. Coaching staff is going to be happy. Front office is going to be happy. And on and on and on and on and on. I'll believe it when I see it. I, I Really, I, I need to see that they're all working for the same goal. And the drama is going to be minimized. And you're not going to hear about, you know, this guy unhappy with this, this guy unhappy with that. This guy's thinking about maybe stepping away for a little bit just to, you know, clear his head. And, you know, this guy wants to get traded. You know, who the hell knows what's going to happen to Ben Simmons? We're going to see the guy at all. And as I said, other teams in that Eastern Conference, you know, they're going to be a handful. You think Milwaukee all of a sudden is, is, is not going to be a factor? And Milwaukee's just going to go away? I don't think so. You know, who knows what a team like Philadelphia is going to look like? Not as simple as just you're getting back to that point. And that's the beautiful thing, and that's also the tragedy in the same token of sports. You're not guaranteed the same thing from one year to the next. you got to work for it. you got to want it. And the Warriors might not be done here, right? They might not be done. I'm not saying they're going to win another championship next year and they're going to go back-to-back in this, but I don't expect that this is Steph Curry's last ring. I really and truly don't. You know, think about Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson wasn't at his best yet this year. But when next season rolls around, he's going to be another full season removed from the inaction, from the surgery, from missing time. I think he's going to be a lot more in rhythm next year. More of that rust is going to be worked off. I mean, think about how much time this guy missed, right? Think about how much time. He's only going to benefit from another season. This Golden State team with some of those other pieces, Wiseman coming back, you know, the growth of a Wiggins, who some people maybe wanted to call him a bust because he was the number one overall pick, but I think he proved his worth and then some for what he did helping this team win a championship. 
on nights where he had to play both ends of the floor, lock down defense on some of those guys in Boston, including a Jason Tatum, do some dirty work on the boards. Wiggins was fantastic. Wiggins was their second best player in this series, not Klay Thompson. It's about a team. But, of course, one guy's going to get the lion's share of the credit more so than any other. And that was Curry in this case. So when we come back, I'm going to take some calls here on the NBA Finals. Your impressions, 800-919-3776. That's the number. But as we're so spoiled in doing in sports, we're so inebriated by championships and titles and legacies and things like that, which I think is the wrong approach, to be quite honest with you. I've always said so. But specifically as it pertains to a guy like Steph Curry. And some of the things that I have heard over the last 24 hours, you know, heard, seen, about what this title means to somebody like a Steph Curry and his legacy. And I think it's some of the most nonsensical garbage that I've heard in quite some time, to be honest with you. So I'd love to share it with you. That's what we're here for. You're listening to the Dan Grasso Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Warriors are the champs. Effectively, next season starts now. Everybody's record is 0-0. Zero and zero. That includes the Knicks. That includes the Nets. And oh, by the way, got an NBA draft coming up less than a week away. That'll be on Thursday of next evening. You'll hear all the coverage right here on 98.7 ESPN. We will see what the locals do or... You know, maybe not do. Maybe there'll be a trade before. Maybe something exciting, which will change the complexion of what we think draft night is going to be. We'll do some draft stuff next week, as a matter of fact. We'll preview that and, you know, zero in on some prospects and so on and so forth. We'll have some good things lined up here uh, for you next week. Let's start off on the phones. Eric in Queens, he's going to be batting leadoff for us here on 98.7 ESPN. Eric K. Passa, what's up? Yeah, good evening, Dan. How are you? Good, Eric. What's up? Okay, I had two questions, please. One about the Knicks and one about Phoenix. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. I meant to say Phoenix and the Phoenix about the Warriors. Yeah. You was right when you was talking about the Warriors getting getting by these teams to see everybody they beat, most of those teams, they players was injured. And Phoenix, that that was a matchup everybody was looking forward to seeing, but I guess being that Phoenix had people injured, they got bumped by Dallas. I don't think nobody's seen that come. That was a disappointing loss right there. Then my second question is for the Knicks. I've been, I've been, I've been hearing this rumor. I was hoping it would happen too. Do you think the Knicks could trade Randolph for Zion Williams? Because we should have got Zion Williams a couple years ago. What's your question on this? You, uh, Eric. Thanks for the phone call. I, I, I think what he meant, Rand. I think he meant Julius Randall, not Randolph. I was trying to think who's Randolph on the Knicks, but it's Julius Randall. Um, you know, it's funny the Zion rumors. They're never going to go away. Seriously. I mean, like, Zion could sign a lifetime contract with the New Orleans Pelicans. Like, he could sign a contract which includes every year of his playing career, and then he's indebted to them, like, with a personal services contract when his playing career is over. Kind of like what Albert Pujols has with the Angels. Although, I don't know if they waive that now because they cut him and, and, and whatever. But, like, Zion could do something like that with New Orleans. And this, the rumors still will not completely go away about him wanting to go to the Knicks. Because we've already heard it. We've heard the rumors, right? Where there's smoke, there's fire. So even when Zion comes out and he says, oh, I want to be here, I want to be with the Pelicans, blah, blah, blah. Do you really believe him? Do you really and truthfully believe him? Because I don't. 
And more importantly, when you look at the history of the New Orleans Pelicans and how they unfortunately have had to conduct business so far, apparently that's not a prime destination for so-called franchise players because they've already had to part with one in Anthony Davis. See, if you're a team like New Orleans, and I've said this so many times before, I think it's a poor reflection on the NBA to where you have a team like New Orleans and a franchise there, which is a you know small to medium market franchise, not as attractive a destination as maybe some other clubs are. And when they hit Lady Luck with the lottery and you land a difference-making franchise generational player like an Anthony Davis, who then, once it comes time or almost comes time for him to make a free agent choice, tells them, I don't want to be here. I'm not going to re-sign with you. You better trade me. That's not a good look. And there's already been too many rumblings about Zion wanting to do the same thing. So my question is, if this is one and maybe two members of this franchise, possibly transformative players who don't want to play for you, how are you expected to last? And how are you expected to succeed? You know, you look at the team that just won the championship. Let's use Golden State as a model, as an example. Steph Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson. The heart, the soul, the nucleus of the club. Those dudes didn't come from other teams. Those dudes didn't, like, make friends one summer at the park and the playground and said, hey, we all should play together on the same team or when they were down in Cabo or something. No, they were all drafted and developed by the organization. They did it the old-fashioned way. That, and maybe that alone, is the only reason or one of the few reasons why you respect what Golden State did. Golden State's a tough team to root for. All right, let's, let's, let, let's be honest. We're all adults here. Golden State is a tough team to root for. But I respect like hell in this super team era where loyalty is a thing of the past, where dudes only want to go out there and play with their buddies or take the easy way out, chase rings, chase championships. These guys did it the right way. They welcomed Kevin Durant to them. Remember, they didn't need Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant needed them. Right? I mean, if we're sitting here and we're fact-checking history... Golden State Warriors were a champion already before Kevin Durant got there. They had a ring. Kevin Durant walked into the locker room and he was like, oh, snap, let me see your rings. Because he didn't have one. And Golden State might have won rings even if KD decided to either stay in Oklahoma City or go someplace else. He needed them, not they needed him. But anyway, that's old history. I like what Golden State did. And then when KD left to go to Brooklyn... They regrouped, retooled a little bit, kept that core together, fought through injuries, rebounded, and won another title. You got to respect that. Got to respect it. And again, like, you know, what do you want me to say about Golden State and Phoenix? It's true. Did Golden State have to go through Phoenix? No, they didn't. Would they have beaten them? I don't know. Couldn't tell you that. You know, would Golden State have beaten Memphis if John Moran didn't get hurt? Don't know. But that's the beauty of sports. Sometimes it's a beauty and it's a tragedy. You play who's in front of you. How they are. I mean, I, I, I say this constantly. You know, as a Met fan, I'm, I'm, I'm man enough to admit it, honest enough to admit it. Back in 2000, when the Mets won to the World Series, the Subway Series against the Yankees, the only reason they went to the World Series is because they didn't have to play the Atlanta Braves in the playoffs. Right? In the division series round, St. Louis Cardinals beat the Atlanta Braves for the Mets because the Mets couldn't beat the Braves. Never. Horrible matchup. 
And so the Mets had to play St. Louis for the pennant, not the Braves. And I don't know if they would have beat them. I tell Steve Phillips that all the time, and he was the GM of the team. You know, I tell hey, Steve, let's you know, facts are facts. I don't think you were beating the Braves, my friend. Sam and Rockland, he's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Sam, how are you? Sam, you there? Sam, going once. Going twice. We're going to move on from Sam. You make the call, should hang on the line. It'll benefit everybody who's involved. 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. All right, let's, let, let, let's kind of let's set the scene here. Let's kind of lay the foundation for where we're going to head for our next little topic of conversation. And I teased it a little bit earlier. Let me hear, before we go to break, from our friend Steph Curry. Steph Curry is the finals MVP. He talked about what it means for him to win that coveted award. What does just this mean to you to finally be a finals MVP after everything? Forget that. We champs. Why are you starting with that question? We got four championships. God is great. The ability to be on the stage and play with amazing teammates. I guess a great Boston Celtics team that, you know, gave us everything to try to get to the finish line. This one hits different for sure. It hits different, but, you know, good for Steph. Wants to talk about the team accomplishment instead of the individual accomplishment. And that's what I want to talk about, too, when we come back. Because apparently, and maybe you've seen this, by Steph Curry winning an MVP, a finals MVP, that that has now elevated him into the stratosphere of, like, the all-time, all-time, like the, the super elite wing of the immortal room in basketball history. Just because he has that one little trophy now, based on six games of play in his long career. This changes everything, apparently. You're listening to the Dan Grasso Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Clearly remember some experts and talking heads putting up the big zero of how many championships we would have going forward because of everything that we went through. So we hear all of that and you carry it all and try to maintain your purpose, not let it uh, distract you, but you carry that, that weight and to get here, it all comes out. So. It's, uh, it's special. That's Steph Curry. He's an NBA champion again for the fourth time, and now he's a finals MVP. How about that? Dan Grasso with you till 10, right here on 98.7 on this Friday night, hanging out with you at 800-919-3776. Yeah, you know, before we get into the Curry stuff specifically, like somebody has to, again, remind me, and I know that, you know, we lampoon this during – the last dance stuff with the Bulls and Jordan and how, you know, Jordan was kind of like fabricating these slights and these knocks to kind of use his motivation to get him up to play these games and to beat these teams. Are the Warriors doing this too? You know, you, you know what I mean? Like, because where is the hate from Golden State? Like, as a team and, and, and as a whole and, 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 and diminishing their accomplishments and saying that they're not worthy and so on and so Like, I... When was this happening? I, I just don't understand it. I haven't seen this. Why? Because they haven't made they didn't make the playoffs the previous two years? Yeah, you know why? They were hurt. You know, Clay Thompson not playing for basically like two years, missing, you know, one of the top players in the league. Yeah, that's gonna do damage. Your other big stars hurt, injured, not playing. That's also gonna contribute to you not having a good season. Right? I I I mean, I don't know what else to say. So the fact that they were back together this year. The fact that they relatively took the court more often than not, 
They go out and they have a really, really good season. And, oh, by the way, it culminates in a championship. So, like, where's the surprise? Where's the wow factor? And that's why I got done saying a little bit earlier there, like, they could still win more. This might not be the last of them. Championships are hard. Championships are difficult. But they might not be done. Now, as far as Curry is concerned, forgive me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apologize before I get going here. So I ask for your forgiveness, right? We're a forgiving society. But forgive me for not getting swept up in the Steph Curry validation game or whatever you want to call it. That's what I'm calling it. That now because he's got himself a finals MVP that all of a sudden we have to look at him as a different player. That now all of a sudden because he has that little rinky dinky finals MVP trophy. And by the way, the finals MVP trophy, if it really is some sort of coveted honor and prize, why don't they at least construct a piece of metal which is more reflective of the best player in the series. It li- I have like participation um, little league trophies that are bigger than the NBA Finals MVP trophy. Like I mean, we really need to change that. The league has enough money. They make enough revenue. They are a multi-billion-dollar annual enterprise. You can afford a better trophy. But I digress. So are we really supposed to say now that Steph Curry, who was a really, really great player, an MVP multiple times over, champion multiple times over, you know, anointed the greatest shooter of all time, first ballot Hall of Famer, now because he's a finals MVP, he's suddenly even better? Let's not go there. You know, you're better than that. You're smarter than that. Everybody is. Right? I mean, come on. Guy's got four titles, two regular season MVPs. That's not good enough? That's not good enough. So let's just say, for argument's sake, argument's sake, that Andrew Wiggins won the finals MVP. So that means that Steph Curry, who had a driving hand in this team winning four championships. Remember, you can't win a championship unless you get to the championship round. So Curry had nothing to do with the team getting there all those times? Nothing at all? He needed a finals MVP that the media votes on to validate his greatness or a special section of greatness, supposedly. So if we're playing that game, like because I'm, I'm trying to piece this together, I'm trying to connect the dots here. If we're playing that game, Andre Iguodala is an all-time great now? Right? He's got championships. But he was a finals MVP. So before last night, before the award was given out, we're looking at Andre Iguodala as somebody who's you know more special than Steph Curry because Andre Iguodala is a finals MVP. Are you kidding? Or how about I'll give you another example. Tony Parker. Tony Parker had multiple championships, just like Steph Curry. And Tony Parker had a finals MVP award. So before last night, if I'm reading this correctly... And I'm buying into everybody's argument that now he is this uber special player because he's a finals MVP. That Tony Parker, until that clock hit zero last night, was considered a better player legacy-wise than Steph Curry. That, that, right? That, that, that's what I'm reading this. That's what I am led to believe. Now, does anybody really believe that with their right mind? Like, if you could have one person, you, you'd rather have Tony Parker's career than Steph Curry's? You think that Tony's a better player than Steph? I, 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 come on. That's how insane it is. 
That's how crazy this whole conversation is, that just because of a finals MVP award, now all of a sudden we have to deconstruct the rankings and we have to move Steph up two, three, four, five places. Now all of a sudden he's better than, I, and what's the new one? He's better than Larry Bird now, apparently, just because he's a finals MVP. I, I, I mean, wow. Like, why does everything have to be so reactionary? Right? Like, why does everything have to just be like, and when reactionary can also imply nonsensical? Because that's what happens. When you're talking out of your you know what and you want to give these like hot, rapid fire takes, a lot of the stuff that you're saying makes zero sense. I'm trying to bring some sanity to the conversation. That's what I'm trying to do. But do you see my point? Think about it. Tony Parker, resume, accolades, all that stuff. If you're sitting here and telling me that Steph Curry is this tremendous player and he's a even better because he has a finals MVP than 24 hours ago, Tony Parker was considered more special, right? Because he had that award. It makes absolutely zero sense. He's a great player. He's going to the Hall of Fame. He probably is the best shooter of all time. But to sit here and say like that he's, you know... D- 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 infiltrating now on like the top six, seven, eight players of all time. That's, that's lunacy. Lunacy. Mike, he's in the car. He's next on 98.7 ESPN. Michael, how are you? Yeah, I'm stuck on the Grand Century, so I'm annoyed. But Oh, come on, Mike. Got to get through that, man. Listen, no, I'm not even. Now, Jack got me through it because even what you just said pisses me off because at the end of the day, when we're talking legacy, 20 years from now, when we're sitting around in the barbershop talking about the greatest player ever, you're not going to be saying Stephon Curry, even if he would send more rings. You're never going to say that. You're going to say Jordan, LeBron, but he'll never be mentioned because he's not that prototype. So that ends that. But you will be saying the greatest shooter I've ever seen is that little guy, the light-skinned guy with the light eyes with the cute family that shot lights out of the building, which is why now the NBA forever, they'll probably have a four-point spot for shooting by the time this is all over. So all that legacy stuff is nonsense. And the other thing I have to say, the second point was, stop hating on the Celtics. They weren't supposed to beat this team. This team is built to win championships. Boston, they got their feet wet. That's more than what you can say about every other team in the East that sold newspapers, which is what this is all about. This legacy stuff and where do you move them. All of that is some reporter with a show that needs space to be filled up. That's what this is. Like this damn Grand Central Expressway, they need to move it so people can fill up and get out of here. Sorry, but I'm tight. Have a good Mike, one, guys. Love yourself. I hear you. Get through the Grand Central. That's a nightmare. It's Friday. It's the summer. Nobody needs to be stuck in that. I was sitting in traffic for hours last night, so I sympathize with you. I got a recent taste of it. But who's hating on the Celtics? Who's hating? I wasn't hating on the Celtics. I said they weren't supposed to be here. This is a great experience. Like, I think the people were, you know, coming down too hard on Jason Tatum. You know, this is first time. It's first time. I give the Celtics a hell of a lot of credit. Just the path that they, hey, we're being honest about it. Who had a harder path and a harder road to get to the NBA Finals? Was it the Celtics or the Golden State Warriors? Not even close. Not even close. Celtics had to take out the champs. They have to take out Giannis. They have to go win a game seven. And that's why I think they ran out of gas a little bit in this series. I really and truly believe that they did. They ran out of gas. 
You know, and I hate, like, comparing eras and generations and so on and so forth. But I think that, you know, like, for a period of time, I think that it applies. And this isn't the first time probably this has been said about Steph, for example, but, like, a guy like him, would he have as much success as easy as it's come to him and how flawless at times it seems when he's really on? Would he have the same success once upon a time if he was playing in a previous generation? I'm not sure about that. When the game was a hell of a lot more physical, when he could hand check, for example, when he could do all these other things that are now prohibited and the game was played just completely different, it would have to be an adjustment. Remember, he's not the biggest dude, right? Would he have as easy a time coming around those screens and getting loose and getting free and having those wide-open looks? Game is different now than it was back then, 100%. But he's a phenomenal player, phenomenal player. But we got to pump the brakes with all of this shooting up the charts just because he's got a finals MVP. I mean, give me a break with that stuff. Come on. You're listening to the Dan Grasso Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Good start for uh, our baseball teams this, uh, tonight. Mets with a 3 nothing lead in the bottom of the second on the fish and Pablo Lopez, who was pitching as well as any starting pitcher in baseball first month, month and a half of the season, barely give up a run. Lindor tattoos him for a three-run shot in the first to get them off and running, thanks to some shoddy defense by uh, Brian De La Cruz, among others of the Marlins, the center fielder who just literally dropped a routine fly ball. Mets get another stay of execution, and Lindor makes them pay with the three-run jack. So good job by him. Yanks and Jays scoreless in the second up in Toronto. Let's say hi to Dan and Nyack. He's up next here on 98.7 ESPN. Danny, how are you? I'm good. I uh, I have a little problem with your take on Steph Curry. So, What's that? Uh, I first, you know, uh, first of all, to say that getting an MVP in a in a in a finals is no big deal is ridiculous. Nobody. So and who said it's all, not a big deal though? You did. You said no. Why I didn't are say that. You excited mean, just because he got an MVP in the finals, it doesn't right. change his status or his level right. of achievement or anything. Well, Dan, let, Dan, deal. let me ask you a question. Dan, let me ask you a question. Okay. Was Steph Curry a phenomenal basketball player before last night's game took place? Well, of course. You kind of, you can okay, so we're, we're in agreement. Tony Parker, you know, he's, he, it didn't, like, change his status in history. And that's my second point. Steph Curry is one of the most important basketball players ever to play the game. I mean, he's Agreed, but, did, but, but do he you think a finals game. MVP he award should have changed that? Changed how everybody plays the game. So, like, I think you said at one point, like, you know, he's not in the top seven or eight, you know. He's, he's not. He's Give me your top seven. That, eight. I think he, he is. He changed the game. I mean, give me your top Le, seven. Eight. Is he, is he better? Know. Is he better than Larry Bird? Yes, I would take him. Dan, Dan, you are so Dan, you are so nuts. I don't know how long you've been watching basketball, but you obviously haven't watched long enough. Thank you for the call. Thank you for the call. Enjoy your night. Get home safe. I mean, guys, you come back to reality. Come back to planet Earth. How many? All right, I'll make it. I'll, I'll make it simple about Steph Curry. Changed the game. Okay, whatever. Fine. He's a great shooter. How many different ways is Steph Curry going to beat you? Steph Curry going to beat you on defense? Steph Curry going to beat you on the boards? Steph Curry going to beat you passing the basketball? Or is he just going to beat you shooting it lights out? Larry Bird beating you all those ways. 
All right, go ask anybody who was around to watch Larry Bird play. Go ask the people that played with Larry Bird. Watch Larry Bird. Steph Curry ain't better than Bird. He ain't better than Magic. He ain't better than the three all-time great centers. He ain't Michael. He ain't LeBron. He ain't better than Kobe. I, I mean, so there's eight right there. People just get so caught up in the now and the, 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 the immediacy of these things. You know, what have you done for me lately? I mean, guy, he is a great player. But see, here's the thing. Some people get this argument misconstrued. Saying that somebody is not a seven or a top seven or eight player all time is not a knock on them, right? They're not a bum just because they're not one of the seven, eight best players of all time. That is like the elite of the elite of the elite. This dude's having a great career and he's not done yet. And guess what? You know what? When it's all said and done, if Dan is still listening, if he tacks on a couple of more championships and does amazing things for another like four or five years, guess what? We have this conversation again, then we might have to rethink the conversation. And we might have to kick somebody else out of that group. But right now... He hasn't done enough yet. Hasn't. Spike is up next. He's in St. Pete. It's good to hear from him. Spike, how are you? You know, I get a, a sometimes youth is wasted on the young. You're in your 40s, I guess, or late 30s, early 40s, something like that. And I hear the kids, I hear the arguments. You know, I'm a regular. I'm just old. I'm the same age as the league. So so I look at it a little differently. I'm, I'm, I'm on your argument. I'm on your side. Yeah. But again, youth is wasted on the young. It, it's sports talk, you know. It's what yeah, it is. Interesting. He's the best team uh, was injury problem. I think if Middleton was there, uh, they would have won again. But uh, injuries are part of the game, and luxury tax is part of the game. And but but here's where I'm coming from. It's real simple to me. I'm pretty sure I know you well enough, and you'll agree with me. The top three guys will always be the top three guys. You know, I'll be around a little while longer, hopefully. It's always going to be in any order you want, Michael, LeBron, or Kareem. Because longevity comes into play in two of the three. Uh, LeBron's an absolute freak. that average 30 points a game at uh, whatever, 18th, 19th year. It's bizarre, bizarre to me that you could do that. Michael, we know his uh, story, especially as a Knicks fan. And uh, Kareem, I went to high school with, and uh, same exact age, and, uh, you know, they changed the rules for him. Everybody else is another case. To me, that's me, and most experts, and I know a lot of the guys, as you know, uh, a lot of the basketball experts who are my age, Bessie and those guys have been friends of mine forever, Sonny Hill, and we're all on the same page. It's just, you know, you do it, you do it at the top level, for so long, you, you're not breached. You don't get into that penthouse. And then you go bird and magic and everybody else. Steph is a great player, a great shooter, a very good help defender. And, uh, and he played in the right system. Listen, that team caught every possible break. I thought Tatum played too many minutes. Uh, I think the coach of... Uh, of um, what happens here to search. The coach in Boston has a great career ahead of him. Another guy who off the pop okay. yep. Yeah, off the pop tree. And um, listen, it's uh, it was a good series. I said last night before the game, now in Florida, of course, and most of my guys are still up in Jersey and, and all over. And, and they like to bet and all that. I said, I'll tell you two things before the game that are going to happen. I told to Larry last night, too. Horford will have a solid game because he's a solid player. My kid went to college with him, with uh, Brewer and uh, Horford and those guys. And um, mm. who's the other? Corey Brewer. Who's the other guy? Uh, Noah. Yeah. 
Yeah, David Lee was the year before. Old, old, old Gators. But anyway, um, and I said, uh, Brown will have a good game. I said, Tatum, it's a little too much for him, too many minutes, and the other two injured. You know, Marcus Smart turned into a great player. He stayed in college a year too long, and but he's a gutty guy, man. He played hurt, and that other guy, that 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 big guy who was hurt uh, with the foot, Robert oh, Williams, my, Robert Williams, poor yeah. beast, he is. Well, that, and that and, and Spike, you see how difficult it is. And I thank you for the phone call. It's great to hear from you. The, the Celtics. The brand of basketball that they play, compared to Golden State, it's more physically demanding. And it's more physically taxing. Maybe you want to say that that's a contrast between the East and the West. Maybe to a certain degree. But that defensive intensity, which, let's be honest, is their calling card. right? That's what got the Celtics to the NBA Finals. It's the way they play defense. It's the way they lock down, the way they're able to switch, the way they're able to suffocate the opposition. Look what they did to Brooklyn. I know the Nets were a mess, and I know that they were a soap opera, and I know that they were a circus, but, I mean, you still got Kevin Durant on that team. You still got Kevin Durant on that team, and they were left scratching their heads searching for answers just because they had none whatsoever for what the Celtics were throwing at them defensively. But that takes its toll. And by the time they got to June... And by the time they had to give it one last go-round and win four more games against a dynamic outfit with one of the best players of all time in Steph Curry, they were, few, they, they were tapped. They were tapped. They had nothing left. That's a good starting point for them. So I think that Brad Stevens knows his team pretty good, the architect, the former coach, and he's going to do whatever's necessary to make sure he goes out there and helps them Get a couple of extra pieces so where if they find themselves in this position again, they're going to be better equipped to make that run and get that trophy. You know, it's easy to forget, too. And, and, you know, we sit here and, like, we become so jaded sometimes with championships, right? And, like, glancing over this stuff. You know, what Golden State has done is no small feat. You know, this isn't like a basketball factory when you talk about the Warriors. You know, after the run TMC days fizzled out in the early 90s. Do you realize that the Warriors went for about, what is this, six, 18 years, 18 years, and they made the playoffs one time in 18 seasons? That's staggering. I mean, that's like almost as bad as the Sacramento Kings and the stuff that they're going through right now where you almost just forget about a franchise. It's like they don't even exist. Pay them on the no-mind list. And so with Steve Kerr and company, and led by these players who they drafted, who they developed, everybody that they've brought in here, they're to be commended because they've they've carved themselves out a legacy in NBA history, and that is a dynasty. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think they're done either. Giancarlo goes oppo for the Yankees. There you go. They got a... You guys love that song. Four to one lead over the Blue Jays in the top of the fifth, still batting north of the border. And DJ gets a hold of one. That is deep to left center. And you know what? I didn't even need to know if it got out or not because I heard the music and that means it's gone. So the Yanks go back to back. Who is it? It's Ross Stripling tonight. It is, is Ross Stripling, yes. But now Thornton is in, so Stripling's out of the game, so Thornton they're beating up. I like Ross Stripling. I've interviewed him many times uh, over on the baseball channel. Really, really good dude. But um, Ross Stripling is not a guy. How can I put this nicely? 
if the Blue Jays have designs of taking out the Yankees in the American League East, you can't rely on a guy like Ross Stripling to be one of the five to get you there. That, that's that's all I'm saying. Was that kind enough? I you know I tried to be kind. Um, but here's the point I was trying to make, or I want to get to now, because you know we were talking during the break, myself and and Ty and Brian about you know we just got done dissecting Mike Trout, the Angels, and that sort of thing. Mike Trout, right, is widely considered, widely assumed to be the best player in baseball. Okay? All of his prowess, the MVPs, the accomplishments, the sabermetrics, all those things. You know, he he checks the boxes, even though his teams haven't won. You know, he's only been to the playoffs one time in his entire career. We're talking about a decade. One time. And they got swept. So it's been a long time between drinks from the cup for Mike Trout and the Angels franchise. Mike Trout, best player in baseball. Okay? If you compare baseball to, the, to basketball right now, and obviously you want to say like LeBron James, the you know, best player in the NBA. We'll, we'll just say LeBron James. If LeBron James is walking down one side of the street in the middle of Manhattan, and Mike Trout is walking down the other side of the street or across the street from him. Which guy do you think is going to attract more onlookers, you know, fans, whatever? It's going to be LeBron James, right? I mean, every, not just because he's six foot nine and Mike Trout isn't. And, you know, when you see a dude six foot nine walking down the street, he kind of stands out above everybody else anyway. But LeBron James, as the face of the NBA, is way more recognizable than, let's say, Mike Trout is. Mike Trout might. Like, all right, forget about let's let's eliminate LeBron James from the discussion. Ty, if, 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 if Mike Trout is walking down a street in Manhattan in the middle of the afternoon, you think most people recognize him, some people recognize him, or not too many people recognize him? Honestly, in Manhattan, I would say not too many people recognize him. What if he's wearing his Angels uniform? I mean, that, that would be odd. <laughs> so I, I think you, you draw to some random dudes wearing a baseball uniform in Manhattan. <laughs> if you don't recognize him wearing his uniform, then you got problems. It's 95 <laughs> it's degrees like... outside today, so it strikes me as a bit odd. But I, I, I honestly think that it would be not too many people recognize him. Right. Maybe that's a little harsh. But No, I don't think you're wrong. But to your I, point. I, I don't think you're wrong. Like where where you get the gravity of star power in baseball because it's so regional is in the postseason. We've seen him play twenty seven postseason innings, all resulting in losses. So to your point, yeah, I, I think that like the lack of him being on that stage comes into play when, when it when it when you um, talk about like recognize, recognizing him on the streets of Manhattan. All right, so take it a step further now. Okay, this is the best player in baseball. Walking down a street in Midtown Manhattan, and he might barely go recognized. Take the NBA. All right, just, just you know, use your mind for a second. Who is generally, let's say the, I don't know, give me somebody in the NBA that you think is maybe anywhere from number 10 to 15 in terms of popularity, recognizable factor oh, of NBA easy. players. We just saw yeah. him melt down in the playoffs. Uh, uh, not in the playoffs, in the, in the finals. Jason Tatum. You could put him anywhere from the 10 to 15 range. Okay. Okay, that's fair. So if Jason Tatum is walking down the street in midtown Manhattan, more people going to recognize Jason Tatum on one given day 
or Mike Trout on another given day? The answer is Tatum, and I get on the surface it's a little unfair just because it's a Knicks town, so it's Knicks-Celtics rivalry. Obviously, you're going to recognize him more than you know an Angel player, but you know just throw in, um, throw in like Jimmy Butler, right? Or or Kyrie Irving, or Kyrie or Irving better. plays in Brooklyn. Like you know Jimmy but Jimmy Butler, I I think would be more recognizable than Mike Trout. Better. I'll give you a di- I'll give you a different one because all the names that we've used and we've thrown out there, they're tall dudes. You know, they're like north of like six six. So like anytime you see somebody that big walking down the street, immediately you're going <laughs> to think that oh man, he might be like a basketball player or something because you know you don't see people that tall just like walking down the street more often than not. How about somebody like John Morant? John Morant's what, like 6'2", 6'3". <laughs> he's still relatively new to the NBA, even though he's a stud. But he's only been in the league for a couple of years. He plays for Memphis, which by and large is still not a household name. So point being, John Morant, who, small market guy, if he's walking down the street in Manhattan, is he going to be more recognizable than arguably the best player in baseball Mike Trout would be. He, he is 1,000% going to be more recognizable. And an addendum to that is, remember, if you are living in New York, you're probably a Knicks fan. The Knicks almost had John Morant. So I guess that's more of a – I bring up the Tatum comp and, and the, the John Morant comp. I, I think it's more of a testament to basketball, whereas we care more about stars around the league than we do baseball. Because baseball is more regional, basketball more national, and especially here locally. Uh, anytime there is a, a player who could have been a Nick or plays against the Knicks and, and involved in a rivalry, and I'm talking about John Moran and Tatum, it's more recognizable. That's my point. You proved my point. That's it's, exactly that. That's what see. That's what I hope to get out of this exercise. It's so bad for the league. I was thinking about this, and and, and you highlighted it last segment. Shohei and and Mike Trout, and you know amongst all baseball fans and analysts are top five players in the sport and the team not being re- can you imagine a, a team having two top five players in the nba and and no one caring about them yeah them just think not about ever that. being in the conversation well not only that not they don't win and that's i mean look that's the inherent nature of baseball yeah. versus basketball because basketball it's five dudes on the court one guy two guys like if you get two studs on a five man team you're a title contender yeah you're a title contender your fortunes are going to be changed a lot faster you take a team like the angels you got arguably two of the five best players in the sport one of them even pitches <laughs> on occasion and it still doesn't mean anything they're still a laughing stock so that's a problem that baseball is somehow going to have to find a way to curtail. Like, how are they in position to cl- – I mean, look, we spend tons of time talking about this, I-, I think, on a lot of fronts. How did baseball get to this point? How does baseball then get back to maybe even at least closing the gap to where they've gotten to in terms of popularity among young people? I can't tell you how many young people that I come across that, you know, you guys like baseball? You guys play baseball? Eh, I, you know, like, and, you know, friends of mine with kids and whatnot, and they say, you hear it, they say it's boring. It's boring. They're not interested. They, and they don't know these guys. Like, the names that we're talking about, these households, like, they don't know who they are. You know, like, how recognizable is a guy like Clayton Kershaw, for example? Yeah. I'm serious. To somebody, like, that's not an L.A. Dodger fan or not on the West Coast. Like, is a kid in New York know who Clayton Kershaw is who's, like, a decent sports fan? I'm not sure about that. And he's only the best pitcher of this generation. And now you talk to kids and they say, you know, 
they play soccer and international soccer has become so darn big now. And now there's ways to watch international soccer and all these superstars from the soccer world, you know, the Messi's, the Ronaldo's, the so like kids know who they are before they do the top all-star baseball players and they play in their own country. Yeah, and, and Trout going down at, as one of, or if not the best player of this generation, and, and Kershaw, the best pitcher of this generation, it, you wouldn't have that in any sport where you have that kind of designation and just be unrecognizable outside of the, the city you pitch in. It, it's, it's just so bizarre to me. It's so bizarre. And, and look, that is the plight of baseball right now. I think it's a little bit different. If you're a little bit older, if you grew up with it, if you grew up playing it, um, you know, a couple of decades ago, it's a little bit different because I think it was still more of a national pastime than it is right now. Now it's become way more localized, more regionalized. And basketball, in terms of the wow factor, I think has surpassed that to a lot of folks, a lot of people. And that's a challenge that baseball is going to have to try to fight. They're trying ways to fight it, but... I don't know if they're making any inroads in that department. You're listening to the Dan Grasso Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. I think Anthony Rizzo just hit one to Nova Scotia to add to the Yankee lead. That is called a grand slam, according to the rules of baseball. When the bases are loaded and the ball leaves the yard, four runs cross. How many runs have the Yankees scored in this inning? Like 17? Eight run fifth. My God. I mean, like, it's a joke. This Yankee team is becoming a joke right now. I mean, it's not even, it's not even, guys, I mean, you're both Yankee fans, unfortunately. Everybody has problems. Those are yours. But, (laughs) you know. the Mets fan. By the way, I got, uh, the last time you won a a playoff game, uh, Obama was still in office. So we're now on our third president since you last won a playoff game. Uh, meanwhile, the Why Yankees, do you have to make it a presidential conversation? Well, I thought no, we were having a baseball conversation. No, it just gives you a perspective on how long it's been. It gives you a perspective on how long. When it playoffs. No, but anyway, and it, let me let me ask you the question though that I was getting finish. at though with the Yankees. So, isn't it kind of boring? Like when you go, like when you know already how a movie or a television show is going to end. Like, do you like still want to keep watching it over and over and over again? Don't you want like an element of surprise? There is no surprise with the Yankees anymore. No, but this is historic. Like this it's is different. It's historic because I mean they could challenge the right. I don't know if it's going to happen because. They haven't seemed to have been bit bitten by the injury bug like significantly. I know Chad Green's out for the season. Chapman's on the IL. Stanton has missed time. Yeah, but look, and you got Clay Holmes, who's basically becoming like Mariano Part Two for crying out loud. But they haven't experienced like that significant speed bump. So I don't want to be premature in saying that they're actually going to challenge the record. But every day, day in and day out, you're you're getting closer to it. Ten one against a team that everyone. Heralded as the uh, American League favorites. Hey, we should, we here's should have all given them say. the rings already. The, the, here's all I'm going to say. Here's all I'm going to say, okay? Win all your games now during the regular season. Rack up all these regular season records and so on and so forth. But if you're going to do that, you better have the final chapter in the book is the 98 Yankees, not the 2001 Seattle Mariners. Oh, absolutely. They yep. definitely okay. have to win a championship. Nobody cares about the 2001 Mariners, even though they won the 116 because they couldn't even get to the World Series that year. Like the, You know what they are? The 2001 Mariners are like the 73-win Golden State Warriors. It means nothing because they didn't win a championship. Nothing at all. No, they have to get it done. They, this is championship or bust. Not even just getting to the World Series. You have to win the title. Got to win it. Got to win it. Because if they don't, then, I mean, next regular season becomes irrelevant. We've already 
seeing the the regular season success. You remember Dan and, and Boone's first two years? They won a hundred hundred games, one hundred and three games, in back to back seasons. Didn't win a championship. Didn't even get to the World Series. We don't even talk about those seasons anymore. Don't even talk about it. Fans wanted Shouldn't. him fired. Wanted Cashman fired. So you, you've got to uh, couple this regular season success with the championship, where it means nothing. I don't disagree. Matthew in Brooklyn. He's up next here on 9870 ESPN. Matthew, good evening. How are you? Yeah, guys, listen, I, I'm tired of this baseball is boring. That's just the lazy, laziness from the young kids. Baseball is not boring. If you play baseball, you know how much action is going on between every pitch? You guys ever see baseball? There's not one fan in their seat for four hours. Come on, I'm Matthew, sick tired of this. It's not a boring sport. You got Matt, look. That. Matt, you're preaching to the choir, my friend. You're preaching to the choir. And I thank you for the phone call. But I'm gonna look, I'm gonna take a liberty here. And just from the sound of Matthew's voice, I to me, I think that he's a few years removed from high school. All right. So he's he's got some earthly experience and God bless him. We hope to have him around forever. But if you are of an older generation, and I'm not even saying when I say older generation, I'm not talking about like octogenarian. I'm talking about, you know, even somebody like myself, you know? I love baseball. You know, Ty and Brian are younger than me, but they love baseball. I've, but for some reason, like the kids coming up today, what are they, Generation Z, X? TikTok I can't, I, era. Yeah, the TikTok generation. Like, look, I'll be the first to admit, games sometimes get absolutely halted to a snarl. I mean, like some games you watch, and the Mets are a prime example of this. And if you're, you know, Mets fans are listening to this right now, they can vouch for this. The Mets play nine inning games that go four hours long. And I'm not talking about like once in a blue moon. It seems like this is like routine. At least two or three times a week, the Mets play a four hour nine inning game, and they're not the only ones. It happens a lot. And my God. If you didn't grow up with this sport, which means if you didn't grow up playing it, if you didn't grow up consuming it as if it was religion or, you know, the pastime or whatever you want to call it, it's going to be hard to kind of grasp it. When you compare it to some of these other sports, like, for example, the NFL, look, nothing's going to touch the NFL. We know nothing will touch the NFL. It's now become the national pastime. Basketball. What's happened in basketball over the last few years and the way the game has evolved here? Nobody plays defense, so it's even more run and gun. It's even more video game-like to where it's always going to have some action. I mean, they're sitting there like playing. You go to watch a game, they're playing music in the arena. They're piping in music while the game is going on. Imagine them doing that in other sports. They don't do that in other sports, but they do that during the NBA. It's like one big party. Kids get into that stuff. You know, we talk about soccer. Why do they watch soccer? Soccer, there's always action. You know, you're always running around the field. Ball's moving. You're doing this and that. That's what they do. Baseball, I mean, and I'll say this. I'll say this about baseball. Next year, we're getting a pitch clock in the majors. It is happening. And I have read countless testimonials, spoken to numerous people, who have already taken in the minor league product because they've been using the pitch clock down in the minor leagues. And every single one of them says it's a game changer. 100% it's a game changer. The games are way more efficient with the pitch clock. It moves faster. You have less downtime in between pitches. You know, you have action. Like we're all used to seeing. I mean, you go back, go watch it, go go on YouTube, go put on a game. You don't even have to go back that far. I mean, I'm not talking about like the 1940s 
you know, with black and white television. I'm saying you could even go back to as, you know, recent as like the early 90s, early to mid-90s. There isn't as much downtime in between pitches as you have now. Guys aren't stepping out of the batter's box and adjusting their helmets, adjusting their batting gloves, adjusting this, adjusting that, and, you know, you get one pitch thrown every foot. Like, they've already timed this out. Like, on average now in baseball, some cases you get, like, a pitch thrown once every, like, 47 seconds. Think about that for a second. You know, that's why, like, everybody, for those that want to take shots at the, you know, the older generation and the different eras and, you know, the guys who are in the Hall of Fame now and some of them aren't even with us any longer about back in the day and they say, oh, well, you know, they didn't play against the best competition. They'd get waxed now and they wouldn't stay. Oh, yeah, well, you know what? They were able to do all those great things, achieve all those records and, you know, all those milestones and that sort of thing, and they didn't step out of the batter's box every two seconds. You know, they didn't go out there and have all this. They weren't wearing about 27 pounds of protective body armor like some of these dudes walk into the batter's box now, you know, protecting their elbows, protecting their shin guards, protecting their, you know, this, that. They went up there before there was even batting helmets. And we're not saying that there shouldn't be, but you know what I'm saying? They didn't have all these things that guys have now, and yet they were still going out there and doing their thing. Baseball can be great. Baseball is great. You know, it's like if you were in from the very beginning, you're in. You don't have to be proven right because they got you. But in terms of attracting more people and attracting the younger generation as they continue to, or, you know, begin to get into sports and continue to grow and to continue, it's, it's not baseball, man. It's not. You know, you ask the, the, the grade school kid if he knows who John Morant is, for example. He's going to know who John Morant is. He knows who Jason Tatum is. Yeah, he knows who Jason Tatum is. I was at the grocery store last week in the the chips aisle. I picked up a bag of chips, and you got Jason Tatum's mug on the chips. You know, the question's going to come up, even if they don't know who he is, while he's eating that, you know, high-caloric snack. Who's this guy? Jason Tatum. He plays for the Celtics. Oh, all right. And then he sees him in the NBA Finals. Hey, that's the guy from the chips. There aren't a lot of baseball players on chips. Who's the face of baseball right now? Has like to be seriously. Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge? Well, yes. The Yankees are the best team in the sport, and he's the face of, of that team. Even if they're not the best team, they're New York's team. Yeah. They're the most visible team. Yep. Yeah. They're the Yankees. Aaron Judge Aaron Judge is probably the face of the sport. Yes. He he's going to about to get paid like it, too. But here's, the, here's the, the problem with that, though. Not saying you necessarily have to be, but it helps. Does Aaron Judge have a dynamic personality no, to be the face of the sport? Which is why, like, and Brian brought this up a couple of breaks ago. He referenced the Mike Trout appearance on Sunday Night Baseball and how it just didn't give you that the vibe of someone who, well, who was elite, right? Like, he wasn't all let that me, Let me say this about Sunday Night Baseball, and I know that it's on our company <laughs> and ESPN oh, 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 and all that stuff. Oh, I'm yeah. just, I'm, dude, listen, I'm oh. just stating facts. I'm not hating but it ties back into our conversation. The only people out there that are consuming Sunday Night Baseball are the ones who are fans of, of either team. team playing in the game. That's it. Because at the end of the day, it's still one of 162. Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football, that's still one of 17. And it could be a team that you probably have no working knowledge of. You're going to sit there and watch a game a heck of a lot more likely than you're going to sit down to watch. This week, for example, Sunday Night Baseball is Houston and the White Sox. Are you stopping what you're doing to make sure you're watching Houston <laughs> White Sox in New York? Right? Oh, man. 
Unless Jose Altuve is like your second cousin or something, are you watching Houston White Sox? No. And even and even if he is your second cousin, you'll probably miss the game, but then you're going to have to text him and apologize why you didn't watch the sorry game. Sorry I missed the game. But sorry the, I missed the game. But the point right. I was going to make was— Sorry, not sorry. It's, it's, is it that Aaron Judge is more interesting than Mike Trout? Maybe. Or is it more that you know it's a team that we love and we admire— and we've grown up with, and Judge is the best player and one of the, you know, front runners for MVP right now. I don't, I don't think he's necessarily that much more interesting than Trout. It's just he's he's a Yankee, and the Yankees are a great baseball team. I just don't think there's a lot of guys in baseball that have great personalities. But to it's be honest tough, with you. man. Like it's, it's it's hard to blame the players too. Like I feel like it's easier to do in other sports. Like football, as you mentioned, that's in a, a different stratosphere. Like nothing's such in the NFL. But think about football. The, it, it, what's ironic about that is they're yes, helmets. <laughs> they're wearing helmets. But it's just it's 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 America's sport. It's once a week. We obsess over it as much as we complain about bad officiating and and this and that and the third. We we just love it, man. We're so obsessed. That's why they never had Darth Vader do commercials without his helmet on. They yeah. always had him with his helmet on. Because he, he if he took it. his helmet off, people would be mortified. That's why. And he'd be recognizable. He was, we don't want he that. Was, he was disfigured. He was, you know, awful. Anakin. Poor Anakin. They should have had him play outfield for the Angels. We'd never see his face. <laughs> exactly. Never. 